This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're standing firm in episode number 103. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. And we are here in episode number 103. I'm really excited because this week you're going to get part two of Hannah's story, which is just as inspirational as last week and just shows you how much of an amazing woman she is. And again, I'm so grateful that she's willing to share her experiences with her kids and also her thought processes and kind of how she stood up for herself. And I think I think you're going to get a lot out of this week, especially if you've been wondering, how do I talk to my husband about making different choices for birth? Maybe it's something as simple as he's not sure I can do it without the pain meds. Or maybe it's something like, I want a home birth and he's not sure about it, or I want to do an unassisted birth. I think Hannah's story is really going to give you some ideas for how you can prevent or present information to him in a respectful way, um, and then kind of back off and and let his mind work on those things. It's just a great example. And then, of course, we've got her daughter Kezia's beautiful birth story included in this week's episode. So you will enjoy all of that. With that, I'm going to get out of the way, step back, and let you listen to Hannah. So yeah, I mean, you still, but you still, you got to this place you were starting to say where you were looking back and going, and maybe, you know, maybe I could do that on my own. So I guess I'm just curious to hear that continuing evolution of your thoughts. Yeah, I I think I had a wonderful hospital birth. I got what I wanted. Uh, the things that I knew I wanted and I asked for, I got. I had to push back for them, but it wasn't miserable. I didn't need to be scared of it. I just just listened and smiled at the person talking. I didn't even really listen. I was just smiling, waiting for them to be done talking. And then I just said, I understand, but I'm still declining. And that was it. There yeah. was nothing they could do. And so I, I did. I got a great hospital birth. But again, I thought, I could have done that myself. Like, I didn't need a highly trained, highly paid, by my pocket, individual to make that happen. So when I got pregnant with my daughter, um, I asked my husband, can we have a midwife? I'd like a home birth. And he said, okay. And I was a little bit surprised that he was so okay (laughs) with it because we do live pretty far away. But he said, sure. And I thought, oh, good. And so this was probably a catalyst for why um, I actually had an unassisted birth. But I waited to contact anyone for a while, and I just enjoyed being pregnant and not having to go to any appointments, and I didn't think anything of it. So when I did contact midwives, I sent them an email to a couple of different local ones. I didn't hear anything back, and then I called them a few days later and left a message, and when I finally got a response, they said, oh, sorry, we're entirely booked for November. Wow. I thought, oh, huh, I didn't think about that. And I called a different midwife, and that midwife wouldn't travel to my county because it is about 35 minutes away from the town. And I guess she lives on the far side, so that was a dead end too. And she gave me some names of midwives who do practice in my county, and I called, and the only one that was available and still had opening for November 
was brand new. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. well, that's okay. That's okay. I know a lot. I don't need a lot. I just need a midwife to make my husband be comfortable with this home birth thing, and I really want a home birth. <laughs> so I thought, this is it. This, this is good. We're going to have her. We're going to have a home birth. This is awesome. So we contacted her for a free consultation. And my husband got off work a little early that day, and we went down and we met her, and we talked, and she asked questions. And did you have a medicated birth? No. Was there any complications? No. Um, and then, yeah, you're a good candidate, and blah, blah, blah. And we chatted for a bit. But when we left, both my husband and I had separate reasons for just not really being very comfortable with her. Um, yeah. She said she sounded like a textbook. And, like, she didn't really have a personality. She was doing everything by the book. Yeah. And I think at that point, she had graduated from midwifery degree, because she had a master's in midwifery, the previous August. And this was, like, April, I guess. So she hadn't been um, really in the... I mean, she had probably done a bunch of births with her schooling and stuff, but it's just she was yeah. And he just sounded like she was a textbook. My concern was that if she was too married to the idea of everything by the book, then the moment anything didn't look right, she would transfer me. And I just didn't Yeah. I would be fine being transferred if I thought something was wrong. But I didn't like the idea of if you think something's wrong, but I still think yeah. it's fine, you're going to make me go to the hospital anyway. And so I just yeah, and I think really that's... I think that's such a valid thought. It's like I just, I'm actually the 100th episode of the podcast just went live, you know, as I'm recording this um, with Hannah. But, and I talk a little bit about that. It's like I firmly believe that, you know, that most moms, if something's, if something's wrong, they have a feeling like, okay, something's not right. And if somebody, a midwife or a doctor or a nurse or somebody says something doesn't seem right, then they're like, yeah, I have that feeling too. Whereas I feel like now the way that most women are like terrified into something essentially, it's like I, I put it, I guess, not politically correctly, but they kind of, and you sort of saw it with the Heflock thing, they kind of had the dead baby flag waved over them. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And, and, and I really believe that if we didn't feel the need to bully women, that they would say, yeah, I kind of had this feeling that something wasn't right. But like you're saying, you know, if you felt like everything was fine, but she's just saying, okay, well, this is a little bit outside of what I've seen. And it's what, you know, what you're feeling like she's very new, that's probably really valid. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, and, but it's your right as a birthing woman not to have that impact her birth. There are other women who will connect with her and be, you know, kind of be her learning experiences. So I really like, you know, that you just brought all those points up because I think those are really important for us to to hear about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I asked her some questions, too, that probably made her uncomfortable, but I wanted to see how she would react. Like, how often do I really have to come in? I didn't feel like all those OB appointments were really necessary, could I wait to come in for a first one until, oh, 20 weeks? And she kind of looked at me like, well, yeah, because you had a good first experience. But, you know, we would have to keep up after that with, you know, every two weeks or four weeks or whatever and kind of fit the rest into the schedule. Oh, okay. And do I have to do all the blood work because I just don't feel like it's necessary? Maybe the hematocrit for iron, but 
like, I don't know about the other ones. And she's like, well, you, we do need to test and we do need to double check and make sure that gives me comfort level that everything's good. And I'm here to help you, so I need to be comfortable so that you can be healthy. And I was like, uh-huh. Hmm. <laughs> so it, it wasn't, it, I might not have been like entirely asking her the questions that were truthful of this is definitely what I want to push for, but I just wanted to see where she was going to push back and how hard yeah. she was going to push back. I mean, I think I think those are totally legitimate questions. She might, like, if she were on the podcast with us, she might be like, that was not fair. But really, I mean, I think that's totally re- legitimate for you to kind of feel out, is mm-hmm. she going to serve me in the way that I want to be served? Because essentially that's what a midwife is supposed to be doing, is serving the woman. And I just... I, I mean, I think I wish that all moms would like come to their care providers with those kind of hard questions, because not only would that mean that moms were getting what they wanted, but it you know might push care provider to grow and to think if all these women are coming to me with this question, how is it that they really want me to serve? So I just I think that's wonderful. <laughs> well, so and I I know a little bit. Sorry, I I feel like with my first, I did ask questions that I thought were pushing, like. Can I really eat lunch meat or not? Um, but those yeah. were kind of mild, and I kind of progressed to other more intense questions that would push buttons and see how important is your way to you, and how much does it have to be? Because my opinion of a care provider for pregnancy, it's not like oh nobody needs them. We do. Oftentimes we yeah. do need help, um, but it's at whose choice of what kind of help, you know, like. Do you just yeah. need to check and see that my blood pressure is the way you want it to be and that's it? Or are you going to listen to me when I say, I don't feel right. Like something yeah. is wrong. And this is what I'm feeling, but can you figure out from my description what it could be? And I hear all too many stories of women who are just brushed aside. Oh, honey, your blood pressure is fine. Your sugars are fine. Your urine sample is fine. You're good. Move on. And that's it. And these women have legitimate concerns and fears and curiosity, but their questions are not being answered or even addressed. And so that's, that's yeah. what bothers me. Um, so let's see. We kind of decided, nope, we're not comfortable with this midwife. Um, it wasn't the price of her, but it was the feeling we had. We would have been happy to pay her her fee had she mm-hmm. been a good fit, but she was not. And so I didn't want to pay her to do something that I didn't really want her to do and then to transfer me to the hospital, so I had to pay them also. I figure if I'm going to go to the hospital because I feel like I need it, I'll pay them and just them. <laughs> so it, I don't know exactly. It's hard for me to remember exactly when the shift of, well, then I'm going to do it myself <laughs> happened. But it kind of came to me. I think I was watching a YouTube BBC thing about these four moms who had four different births planned. And one was a planned C-section so she would know the date and she would not have to go through all the stress and the struggle. Another was going to eat her own placenta and she was super crunchy. And another one lived <laughs> on a houseboat and was like this hippy-dippy lady and she was going to have a home birth with nobody there but her husband. And um, and I don't remember the fourth. But, um, but I was like, whoa you're going to do it by yourself? Like, I'm not sure that you and I are similar people in our choices of life in general, 
<laughs> but I am intrigued by that. And so I started reading and finding other stories of people who had done that on purpose. You know, and I've seen things like, I didn't know I was pregnant, and then people give birth in these random places, and they're always terrified, and it's always scary, <laughs> and the emergency people come, and everything, but on purpose, it's different, and it intrigues yes. me. But I didn't know if my husband would be on board or not, because, yeah, I wasn't sure. And so I thought about it for <laughs> maybe a day or two or three days, not very long, before I kind of broached the subject with him. And his first answer was just like, that completely terrifies me, and if you wanted to do that, I just wouldn't want to be in the house. I, I would go somewhere else. And I was like, but but you're my husband. This is your baby. I want you there. So it really scared him, and uh, I didn't know what to do because I wanted a home birth. I couldn't have a midwife. I was fine with the idea of having the baby myself. I felt like I could have done it the first time, too, but I needed him to be on board with me. And it wasn't that I needed yeah. him to agree or I had to give up the thought, but I didn't want to go against him. I really just, I wanted us to be united. But yeah. I couldn't let go of the idea. And so I just, I didn't say anything for a while. I just kept reading and researching and learning, you know, about birth and stuff. And I'd just bring up the topic every once in a while, and he always got real nervous and concerned. And at one point he finally, like, just, I, I think I asked him, what makes you so concerned and upset about this? Like, what is it that makes you not want to do uh, an unassisted birth? And he said it's because there's so much unknown that if something went wrong, he wouldn't have a clue what to do. And I, yep, that's valid. I understand that. That's yeah. Fair. Can I read and research about everything that could possibly go wrong and I'll teach you what which things that we can do ourselves and which things are like, hun, this is bad. There's nothing we can do. we got to go to the hospital. And we'll go to the hospital at that point. And he's like, mm, maybe. <laughs> so okay. I started researching. And I was like, well, what is it? I mean, there is a huge amount of fear about, like, what if something goes wrong? But what are those somethings? And I yeah. started to see that all of the somethings that could go wrong, not every single one, but almost every single one, there's a long period of warning. It's not like, oh, no, you have gestational diabetes. Your baby's going to die in five minutes if you're not at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I'm starting to gain weight really fast. I'm super thirsty. I'm peeing all the time. I do not feel good. Something's not as right as it was before, or something might be wrong. You know, I can check my sugars. I can get a glucometer and see, and then I can learn about how to control my diet, and I can do that. I can do that at home. Or preeclampsia. Oh, no, you're preeclampsic. If you don't get to the hospital in five minutes, your baby's going to die. No. You're going to start having symptoms like swollen ankles and swollen joints, and you're going to have headaches and maybe see stars and spots in, in your vision, and you'll start to not feel good, and things will, you'll start to line it all up. Your blood pressure will be high. And then, you know, yeah, that's preeclampsia. That's not really good. We probably should go to the doctor. But you've got time. And there might yeah, be something you can do to yeah, be better. Like you and said, I mean, yeah, and I also I mean, told them, like you said, most were, women just feel off. Right. They feel off. And I they know them, something's not right. 
if I were under an OB's care and those things happened, they only see me once every four weeks or every two weeks. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot of time going on in between those visits that I'm going to notice stuff is off and I'm going to be concerned and I'm going to pay attention and we'll figure it out. And if it's something that genuinely we cannot do ourselves, we will go in. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so I just learned about the various <laughs> things. And like even the really horrible, scary ones like um, placenta previa where your placenta completely covers your cervix. And if you go into labor and you dilate all the way, it separates the placenta and the baby can't breathe and they die. Even that, you'll bleed without dilating a little bit in your third trimester. Or when you go into labor, you'll start to bleed and then it'll get heavier and it'll get heavier and you'll realize, not good, <laughs> go to the hospital. Yeah. And they'll do an ultrasound or something and they'll determine, oops, C-section right now, let's do it. And that would have happened had I been in an OB's care or a midwife's care when I went into labor anyway. So it's no different in my mind. Um, and so he started to get a lot more comfort level. Just one moment. <laughs> I had a question, but it's all good. Um, so I started to paint the picture that all of the fears that people have of birth aren't as scary when you're looking them in the eye. Yes. And That's great. If you approach it and say, okay, if this could be, what would the signs be? And you start paying attention, it's not as scary because it's not like you have five minutes or you have one day. It's usually you have weeks or you have at least days or hours if things are really wrong, but you would have known that anyway <laughs> because you would yeah. say, I'm bleeding like I have a heavy period right now. This is not good. Let's go to the hospital. And so he calmed a lot down, but I was talking to him last night about it, and he said that it took him a long time to come to peace with the idea and he prayed about it a lot, and he asked God, please change your mind, <laughs> or <laughs> like if you can't, ch if you if she's not going to change her mind, then please give me peace with this decision because I want to be like united with her. I don't want this to break our marriage apart. I want this to be something that we can join together in. But I'm really scared. And so eventually, God did give him peace. And I'm really thankful because I really, really, really wanted this home birth and I really felt like it wasn't something God was saying, Hannah, you're being stubborn. Just be obedient and do what makes your husband more comfortable. It was like, just be patient, learn, show him, I'll work with him. <laughs> and it did yeah. work out well. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of where we decided to go ahead and do this unassisted journey thing. Now, for people who aren't familiar, there are two parts of unassisted. One is an unassisted birth where you might have OB care, you might have midwife care, you might have someone in place, but the actual birth, whether you choose it or it accidentally happens on your own, is unassisted, no medical person present. Unassisted pregnancy is less common, but it's when you choose not to have a medical professional follow you up throughout the pregnancy and you decide to do it yourself. So a lot of yeah. people will choose unassisted pregnancy or birth, but they'll still have somebody do their blood work or they'll do an ultrasound and they'll check mm -hmm. things. So you can kind of decide how far out and crazy you want to be <laughs> in that journey. <laughs> um, I loved not going to any appointments. 
because I didn't have to schedule it in and I didn't have to drive 45 minutes to an hour and then wait 45 minutes to an hour with my son in the waiting room with me for a 10-minute yeah. appointment where they weighed me, checked my urine, told me I measured perfect, come back next time. And I loved it because I could measure my own belly in practice. And I could take my own blood pressure and practice, record it if I wanted to. <laughs> and yeah. I thought about buying those urine steps. You can get them on Amazon. You can probably get them at like a Walgreens even. Yeah. Um, they're not hard. <laughs> you just buy them and you dip them and you match the color up to the chart and it tells you stuff. But I didn't. I kind of was like, eh, I'll get to it. And then I never did. <laughs> um a lot of people who want to do an unassisted birth or pregnancy, they will do almost the same sort of equivalent measuring that a midwife would do or an OB would do because they're afraid that if somebody were to question whether their choice is legal or not or Child Protective Services were to call or something like that, then they would mm -hmm. have records. So yeah. I started recording things kind of in the same vein for a while, and I, and I continued it. But I realized after a while that it was only for my own curiosity and intrigue because I would find women's stories who did have to transfer, who did have their records with them. And when they got to the hospital, their records were just pushed aside and not even glanced at. And they were recorded yeah. as having no medical care. So it may help, maybe, if there was some extreme situation and Child Protective Services were there and there were legal battle and everything like that then maybe those records might bear some weight, maybe. But when I got to the point, I realized, eh, I still like to know. I'm curious. <laughs> I like seeing a chart and how things progress. So I just took it for my own laughs, I guess, um, and, and enjoyment. And I'd record stuff that maybe the doctors did, but maybe they didn't, like when I felt my first movements and whether my heartburn was better or not. And, like, <laughs> when the nausea came back or was gone or, how I felt, and so I could kind of look back and go, well, yeah, I was feeling crummy then, and then it got better, and then it got crummy, and then it was great for a long and it was just fun. Good. I think that's awesome. I mean, really, I do. It's just, I think that's like, I mean, that's what prenatal care should be. It should be learning <laughs> to listen to yourself, because it's like you, like you told your husband, you know, like, we only go to the doctor every four weeks or whatever, and that's what I tell students in my classes. Like, even if you have the most awesome midwife, I mean, like, I had a midwife, and I, though I understand your feeling about it at the end, like, when you're going to appointments constantly, it's like, oh, please stop. But, you know, I enjoyed my appointments to talk, because you get, like, an hour just to chat, it's almost like. Mm -hmm. therapy session with your midwife. Yeah. But, you know, I found that enjoyable, but still, I mean, even if you have, like, the best prenatal appointments in the world, you only have, like, a handful of them. You're pregnant for, like, 280, 284 days, and you're going to have uh -huh. maybe 15 appointments tops. So how many uh -huh. other days are you the one who's doing the quote-unquote prenatal care? So I just, I mean, I love that, you know, that you were able to enjoy it and, like, just basically explore yourself and your experience of pregnancy and that was you know that was your prenatal care which is really cool it was now i won't say that there was nothing that went weird for me and it was a beautiful pregnancy and i popped out a baby at the end there were a couple things that gave me pause and i and i was concerned like um i think about 20 weeks or so i started getting this weird sensation that now i will say was probably round ligament pain 
but I'd be sitting mm-hmm. on the couch watching the movie, and I'd go to shift, and I would feel like my husband had reached over with his finger and just poked me in the stomach really hard, and then quickly got in, back into place because he hadn't moved. <laughs> You're like, ow, what was that? And he'd be like, what? <laughs> and it <laughs> happened periodically, like once a day, three times a week, twice in one day, and it was just the weirdest thing. And I'd Google and Google and Google, and finally I'd find one or two women on some forum thread somewhere that were like, it feels like someone's poking me with a pencil eraser. And I'm like, oh, that's it. That's it. Somebody else experienced that too. It's probably nothing. And then that was it. So that was weird. I didn't know what it was. I didn't think it was anything bad, but I paid attention. And I wrote it down, and I looked around a bit, and I came to comfort, eh, it's nothing, which is exactly what a doctor would have told me if I had told him. He'd be like, oh, it's nothing. It's probably just ligament pain. (laughs) Another time I had... um, started drinking red raspberry leaf tea because my friend got me some mm-hmm. nice loose leaf tea and I thought, oh, awesome. I'm like 25 weeks, I don't know, 26, 7 weeks. I'll start drinking this tea. I'll have a glass a day. And um, I had some and I noticed some Braxton Hicks, but I had been having them and no problem. And then the next day I had another cup of red uh, the tea and I started having consistent, regular, timeable Braxton hip contractions, and I got nervous, wow. <laughs> and I was like, this is not good, 29 yeah. years or whatever is not a time to have a baby, and I I got concerned that day, and I timed them, and I wrote them down, and I paid attention, and I kept, and I'm like, when my husband got home, I'm like, honey, I've had nine contractions an hour for the last four hours, they don't hurt, but this is concerning. This is not good, and if I have any symptoms that it's turning into true labor, we will have to go to the hospital. But I'm not ready to go now. I'm just telling you so that you don't get <laughs> lambasted, like sideswiped, and that um, that you're gonna freak out because suddenly we have to go to the hospital now. So just so you know, I think it's gonna be okay, but I'm paying attention. And it lasted the rest of the afternoon, and then it dwindled off, and it went away, and I did not drink any more of that tea until like 35 <laughs> or 36 weeks because I'm like, I don't know if that's what it was, but I'm not risking it. So yeah. I had a scare like that, and I was like, oh, not good, not good, paying attention, paying attention, drinking water. Um, and it didn't make me run to the hospital that day, but it sure did keep my attention the whole day. And then the last thing that happened is later on, I don't know how many weeks I was, but I was in the 30s somewhere. 35 maybe, early but still possibly, mm-hmm. whatever, um, I started to see these sparkly stars in the sky and I, or like in, in my vision and I had a headache and I told my husband, this is possible preeclampsia sign. Like, I don't think that's good. So I took my blood pressure and I wrote it down and it was a bit high for me and then I took it an hour later and it was a tad bit higher and I got really nervous and the headache wasn't going away. And I just told him, hey, this isn't good. I'm not sure what to do. Let's just keep measuring it. And I'm going to call my mom because she's the voice of reason. <laughs> and I'm going to ask her what she suggests. And she looked online and she found what the preeclampsia blood pressure measurement that a hospital would admit you at was. Mine mm-hmm. wasn't quite there. It wasn't high enough. And she said, it looks like for you to technically have preeclampsia, you have to register this blood pressure or above for four hours or longer. 
and then you technically do have preeclampsia. So if you were to go to the hospital right now, they would say, no, your blood pressure isn't high enough yet. Go home, monitor it. If it does reach this level and it stays that way for four hours, then come back. And that was like enough to talk me off the ledge. Okay, yes, this isn't there yet. I can continue monitoring. And if I measure this number, I don't remember what it was really. It was like 140 over 100 or something. But don't call me on that. Look it up yourself. Um, it, I could measure and say, yes, we've reached it. Let's wait four hours. If it's still there, we are going in. This is not good. I'm not going to mess with preeclampsia at my house. And so it ended up going down in the way, and it never came back. So I did have a couple of things that made me nervous. But I didn't jump the gun and race to the hospital that moment. We just watched it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So my, my pregnancy was great, but it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. There were moments where I had to really, like, is this something that's beyond me? Is this something that I don't want to be stupid about and I want to go in? Close, but not yet. Close, but not yet. Oh, look, it went away. Okay, we're good for now, but we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, and I just, I think that's such, you know, that's such a valid and powerful thing because maybe, you know, a woman's thinking, well, I have to have everything go totally perfectly wonderful because a lot of times you hear, you know, UPUC stories where they're like, oh, everything was wonderful. Um, but even maybe just hearing that somebody had her doubts and this is how she addressed it, you know, like you just described for those situations is incredibly valuable and I think very, you know, that helps the woman realize that, again, she can listen to herself. She can find this information and make her own decisions. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to almost the end of my pregnancy. I started getting Braxton, not Braxton Hicks, like false labor, if you want to call it that. I have my opinion that it's doing something, but it's really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I would have regular, timeable contractions every, like, one day it would be seven minutes apart on the dot, like seven minutes, seven minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes. Um, timeable from, like, noon to bedtime all day, and then when they lay down to go to bed, they went away. And the next day <laughs> it would be every five <laughs> And the next day it would be every three minutes. And they did not hurt, but my belly would get super, super tight, and it would last. What was weird is they last sometimes a minute, sometimes shorter, sometimes super long, like five minutes. And, like, after four or five days, I was like, yeah, this isn't real, is it? And I found somewhere that false or patronal labor, one of the signs of it is that it's not consistent length of contractions, and the contractions last longer than a minute. They can be with or without pain, but if they're like two and a half minutes and then 15 seconds and then five minutes, that's kind of a key sign of, oh, nope, this isn't the real thing. So yeah. that was really annoying. And I ended up having that for a solid two weeks, 14 days before she was born. That was obnoxious. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I got really excited. Oh, maybe I'm going to have a baby a few days early because I actually had her a week after her due date, so they started a week before her due date. But at about that same time, and I had had my suspicions earlier, but I kind of brushed them off. No, 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 no. Everything's fine, everything's fine. That my baby was breech. And okay. I kind of finally got to this point of realizing, no, no, I think she is. Or I didn't know she was a she yet. Um, but I think baby is breech. 
And I went through a lot of like trying to figure it out definitively, and I came to the conclusion, yep, this is a breach baby. And what I, the, the things that I kind of used as marker posts were, um, the biggest one that kind of caught my attention was my the hiccups, the baby's hiccups. I always mm-hmm. felt them up under my ribs. And with my son, I had always felt those hiccups down in my crotch. And I'm like, this is different. Yeah. Oh, different baby, different thing. And then I'm like, well, wait a second. I feel like I have this bump under my rib. I thought it was a bum, but maybe it's a head. <laughs> maybe it's a head. Okay. <laughs> and from about 28 weeks on, I went back and I looked, but from 28 weeks on, my husband could hear the baby's heartbeat with his ear on my belly. We found That's that out cool. with my first pregnancy just because he'd cuddle up and he'd talk to baby and he'd be like, oh, I can hear the heartbeat. And he'd tell me, bum, 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 and like he'd copy it. And I'm like, oh, cool. So we started listening for it and we couldn't hear it until about 27, 28 weeks with my daughter. Um, but he would always find her heartbeat on my right side at or above my belly button. Okay. And I found yeah. that a key signpost of, yep, your baby's not head down. The heart has to be closer to, at least you'd hear it the loudest there. And it was like, oh, we've got a breach. And then once I realized that, I could sort of feel like, okay, yep, this is a hand. It always moves right here. It's always here. This is a leg and a knee. It moves across my belly, but it always settles down to my left hip bone. Ah, we have a breach. Now what? (laughs) And I think for about a split two seconds, I thought, I guess I have to go to the hospital. And I thought, no, babies are born this way. God made babies to be born, and they have been born this way. This isn't an automatic go to the hospital. So at that point, I was super thankful because I was 39 weeks on the dot when I first realized it. And had I been Uh under an OB care or a nervous midwife's care, that would have been the day they would have said, okay, we're going to schedule your C-section. Let's go in and yeah. do it. Yeah. And I didn't. And I didn't have to. And I didn't have to be scared. And I thought, okay, so we've got a breach. We're doing this. What do I need to know? And I started researching breach. And I found this awesome documentary by a OB and a, I think it's an OB and a chiropractor that specializes in turning breach babies. But they have this documentary called Heads Up a vaginal breech birth in America or something like that, um, and talking about how the whole culture of birth and breech birth in the United States changed. Like the day after some research thing came out in Canada where they had said mm-hmm. vaginal breech birth is more dangerous than C-section. And so like Canada and the United States and then eventually the rest of the world immediately said, okay, we're not doing vaginal breach anymore. We're just doing C-section. But what most people don't know is that a few years later, they reversed the decision and said there was something faulty with that study. They looked at the data wrong, and now we recommend that a large portion of the breach births, you at least try a vaginal. But by that time, doctors weren't doing them anymore. They weren't. They were rusty, they had never been trained, or they got retired because they were done with their practice. And so now nobody wants to do them because it's scarier and there's chances for lawsuits more easily, so they just default. Um, And that made me mad. I'm like, hey, in that case, then it's not a horrible idea to just go for a breached birth, but what do I need to know? 
And I found that having a breech vaginal baby in water is good because the buoyancy of the water will help hold the baby from maybe twisting its neck and damaging nerves while it's being yeah. born up to the neck. Um, and don't touch the baby. Don't try and maneuver them because you could damage just let the mom and the baby maneuver and things like that. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. We're going to do it. But instead of being at my house 45 minutes away from the hospital, I asked my mom if we could go to her house and have the baby there. And that way we would be that much closer just in case we got nervous or concerned. And then we would be much more accessible to an ambulance and the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So <laughs> we, that's, what, that's what I was going to do. And that's what I planned. And my due date came and went. And <laughs> two more days came. And that evening, it was Sunday before she was born, Friday, um, she turned. She flipped. I felt it. It was weird. <laughs> and... <laughs> She was head down, and we confirmed this by Eric, my husband, listening to her heartbeat way down low. And then I started Googling, how do you keep a baby turned? And, of course, nobody <laughs> got anything. And so I just had to trust God and say, okay, you can keep the baby head down or not, and we'll have this baby. But then I knew I could have the baby at my house instead of having to travel again. So still having prodromal labor every day, but... Once she was flipped head down, I suddenly realized that I need to pee like every five minutes. Because apparently, <laughs> breech babies or bottom down babies don't press on your bladder the same way. Yeah, they don't press so I was, <laughs> I was free from having to pee all the time like most women until she flipped. And then I was like, oh, gosh, this is not fun. I remember this. Um, but still labor every day, every day, every day. And then the, the morning I woke up, Thursday, I knew I was in real labor because I thought, oh, I'm getting my period. Oh, wait, I'm pregnant. I can't oh, have a period. Yeah. I'm going to have a baby because <laughs> I had cramps and it was that nasty, crampy, awful feeling. And I'm like, oh, went to the bathroom and I got bloody show. I'm like, Eric, today is Labor Day. I don't know if it'll be 36 hours like last time or not, but it's going to happen. So go to work. I'll call you if you need to come home. He works like an hour away, so he was nervous to go. But I said, you know what? It took forever last time. I'll be fine. I'll call you if you need to come back. And I washed the doors of my cabinets in my kitchen on my hands and knees because I thought, well, <laughs> I've got to do something to pass the time and I don't feel like thinking and, you know, this will look nicer. And It gave me appreciation for why women glean when they're in labor is it <laughs> passes the time. <laughs> and you yes. can stop midway if you want. Um, and a friend called, and she was supposed to visit the next day, and she's like, do you want me to come today? <gasps> yes, I would love company. So she came and hung out with me, and we just had a lovely time. She's my buddy that we talk about babies and birth, and she has four, or she had four at the time. She was pregnant with her fifth and ten weeks behind me, and we just had a lovely day talking about, oh, this baby's coming, and this is happening. And so finally I was like, okay. This is getting real. I need to call my husband to come home. <laughs> I think it was only like an hour early for him, like 3.30 or something. Um, but she stayed until he got back, and she helped me prepare dinner to stick in the oven or the crock pot. I don't even remember. And He got back, and she took her kids with her and left, and we had dinner and put my son to bed and called my mother and my sister. I had asked them both to be there because 
my mom was at my son's birth, and I just really wanted her to get that experience of being at a grandchild's birth, especially we didn't know if we were having a boy or girl. And then yeah. I wanted my sister to come. She is four years younger than I am and had missed my son's birth because she was out of state at the time. And I thought, what a cool thing to be able to see someone's birth. I've never seen someone's yeah. birth. <laughs> yeah. I've been to my own. And so I asked if she wanted to, and she was interested. So the two of them, I remember calling and saying, I don't believe we're having a baby before the sun goes down, but I'm pretty sure we'll have a baby before it comes back up again. Would you like to come to my house and spend the night <laughs> so you don't miss it and I don't have to call you in the middle of the night? So they came up, and um, my mom saw me, and she's like, oh, I don't think we're very close because I was pretty chipper and happy and talking in between contractions, and I wasn't, like, groaning or anything during them. I was yeah. just wait. And I was a little disappointed in that assessment, but I thought she has a point because the last time it was 36 hours and it did take a lot longer and it was a little disappointing, but she could have been perfectly right. So I accepted it and we watched some Downton Abbey episodes and talked and I just <laughs> sort of knelt in front of the couch and rocked my hips and, you know, as they went. And eventually, well, it's probably 10 o'clock, I was tired and I went and I had a bath and Everybody kept chatting. My husband would pop in on me. and I thought the contractions went away as soon as I got in the bathtub. And I thought, oh, it killed it because it was just, like, gone. And then I stood up yeah. and had a really bad contraction and realized, oh, no, 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 the water's helping that much. I'm going to sit back down again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I labored for a while. My mom went to bed. My sister and husband chatted. They filled up the tub. We had it in our basement because it was right next to the water heater and easy to fill, and when it got more full than the bathtub is when I transferred. <laughs> yeah. And I went in, and it felt great, and I was chatting with my sister, and then I threw up. I had a, I had something nearby to throw up into, but I was like, oh, why don't you go wake mom? I think this means things are happening. <laughs> up until then, I, I had felt like you know, I guess I could keep doing this for hours if I needed to. No big deal. I mean, it's it's like having a bad period and just kind of enduring it. But at that moment, I was like, I don't want to do this much longer. I just don't. I just don't want to do yeah. this for hours and hours. And my water hadn't broken yet. And so all of a sudden, it started getting more intense, closer together, double peaking, like really not not happy. I'm not a screamer, and I don't yell and stuff. <laughs> I don't go crazy out of my mind, but I'm pretty sure I told everybody in the room like a dozen times, I don't like this part. I don't like this part. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't like this part. And for anyone who hasn't had a baby yet, I hate that everyone says that it's the worst pain you'll have in your life and it's horrible. I thought of it on both pregnancies, both births, as like it's probably going to be about as bad as the worst flu I've ever had. And just to prepare myself... And it was no worse than that. Like, it wasn't yeah. right, but it wasn't, like, when you're in the middle of the flu, you think, I'm dying, I hate this. Yeah. But you know you're not dying, and you know you'll get better at the end, and after you're done with it, you won't think of it every moment as the worst time in your life. And it was like yeah. that. It wasn't horrible. And for me, it was just that last part that was like, oh, yeah, this is not fun. Um, so... Just keep that in mind. It's maybe like the worst flu you've had. No worse, <laughs> but not fun. That's the worst um, flu. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, and it's a, it's not even a 24-hour bug. Sometimes it's just a couple hours. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, from the time I threw up to the time she was born was exactly one hour, 16 minutes. So, it, like, it was pretty fast from that point. Like, it, it ramped up. It got double peaking. It was miserable. My water didn't break. I finally was like, can anybody think of something I can break my water with? Because I knew there was no doctor coming to do it for me. <laughs> and I had been checking. <laughs> Um, my my dilation and cervix, like a lot of people won't. I learned about it from people online that you can do it yourself and it's not an awful thing and I had been. Up until like those two weeks before she was born, I couldn't find my cervix. It was too high. But when I was in labor, it was lower and I could feel the dilation and I could feel the, the water bulge like a little water balloon and then it would descend further down and it would be a little bit bigger. But I could not get it to break. And I poked and poked and poked. And finally, yeah. my mom's like, I don't know, a fork? Yeah, go get one. <laughs> and so she got up to go find a fork. And before she got back, I had managed to finally break it. And there was such relief. And the water went into the pool. And I couldn't tell. Like, I thought for sure that there would be some change of color. Or sometimes people say there's little floaty, sparkly bits of vernix. But nothing. It was like, oh, well, it's clear. Clear. We're good. And immediately, my contractions changed to pushing contractions. And my yeah. husband, sweet, bless him, had known that once my water broke and it was closed, we should throw some towels into the washing machine like 10 steps away uh, or into the dryer and get them warm for baby. So he got up to go do that, and I yelled for him, get back here, baby's coming now. <laughs> and so he came back, and he like right by my head and I'm leaning over the edge of the pool and I'm like closing my eyes and he's trying to get me to open his, my eyes and look at him and stay focused and I was like, go back there, go see her, go see baby come out. Like I can't look at you right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he watched baby's head come out and I could feel it and oh my gosh, I had definite, definite ring of fire with her. Um, not with my son, but with her I did. And head was out. Baby's eyes were closed, but in the water. I heard my mother say, okay, push the rest of the baby out. And I said, nope, not till the next contraction. <laughs> so I waited. And it was a little while, maybe a minute, but I knew that was the best time to push this time. And I waited, and the next contraction came, and I was like, doggone it, I'm not doing any more of these. I'm getting baby out with this contraction. <laughs> so I pushed. She came all the way out, and I turned around, and my husband sort of, pushed her towards me under the water. I guess I had told him to bring her up out of the water, like, like, whatever. And so I lifted her up out of the water. What is it? A boy or a girl? And she was floppy. She wasn't moving. She wasn't breathing or yelling or anything. So I didn't care about the gender. I was just going to help my baby breathe. So I patted her on the back. And I turned her kind of tipped forward like you would burping a baby. And I patted her nothing. And I leaned her back mm -hmm. and I... Blew in her lungs, and I sucked out her nose, and nothing. And I talked to her a little bit, and I patted her, and I repeated the whole thing again, and nothing. And I did it again, and nothing. And thinking, okay, God, I don't know what else to do. Um, I felt the cord coming down between her legs, down to me still. And it was plump and juicy and pumping just fine. So I knew from various things that I had researched and read that she was getting all the blood and all the oxygen she needed. It wasn't a problem that she wasn't breathing yet, but God knew she needed to breathe. I knew she needed to breathe. Yeah. Like, help. 
And as soon as I prayed, she, like, let out a big yelp and started screaming. Oh. And everybody, like, probably, except for me, the breathed a sigh of collective relief. And I wasn't yeah. worried at that time because I had known, okay, this is okay, it's fine, they don't always breathe right away. Um, but then I guess my husband had gotten out the video camera at some point during then because he started recording right as she, like, took her first or second breath. And I know mm-hmm. that because you can hear in the background, my mom asked, like, what time was the baby born? And my sister responded, well, she was born at 1 o'clock, but she didn't start breathing until 104. So there was four minutes with no breathing. <laughs> and I was so yeah. surprised, like, oh, it didn't feel like four minutes to me because I knew everything was fine, but it, boy, it must have felt like an eternity to them because they didn't yes. know. And I, I guess I hadn't explained to my husband, like, I did try and educate him on everything I could of, like, what to worry about, what not to worry about, and when and why and whatever. But I didn't remember to tell him, hey, baby might not breathe right away, and that still can be okay. So he was terrified. And I think at that moment he was thinking, this was a stupid idea. We never should have done this. This is, We should have been in the hospital. This is awful. Until, you know, after she started breathing and things calmed down. And we talked about it, and I explained, and, and he realized, oh, she did know what to do. Like, he thought I had prepared for everything except for that, and that was what terrified yeah. him. And I asked him about it, and he and I said, would that bother you again? And he said, no, no, that's fine. I I would know now that it would be okay. And I read a story of a, of a lady who had a home birth, and her baby didn't breathe right away. And she was ranting about how awful home births are, and she would never do it again because it was so terrifying. And I just think how sad it is that that experience was so stressful for her because she did not know enough to give her peace that it's okay, yeah. baby's okay, and that she would also influence other mothers to fear. And I don't like that. I really don't like making any decision based on fear. Okay, if there's a if there's a worry there, learn about it. If there's a fear in place, find out whether it's a legitimate reason to be concerned. But don't just let that fluttery heart, oh no, oh no, make your decisions for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she was born. She started breathing. I found out she was a girl, and I got to watch myself find out on video because she had it <laughs> captured, and that was wonderful. Um, we. Uh, woke my son up. He slept through the whole thing. And we woke him up and brought him down. And he met baby. And he was all excited. But I think eventually he was more excited that there was a swimming pool in the basement. He splashed with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, we let the baby's cord be, like, we, I stayed in the tub for probably 45 minutes, maybe almost an hour, until I was like, well, the sun's not coming out. And um, I stood, and it didn't just come. So we decided to cut the cord, we had made a braid, a red DMC floss, if you're familiar with, like, cross-stitching, like the little threads yes. that are colored, and I braided it, and he, my husband picked the color. I think he just enjoyed having that little bit of preparation of, like, it's too. And so I braided <laughs> it, and we tied the cord, and he tied it, I don't know, 10, 10 inches away from her belly. He was like, I don't know where to do it. Anywhere you want, fine, honey. <laughs> And we cut the cord <laughs> and then wrapped up baby and my sister took her and then he and I went to the bathroom to go get the placenta out and 
I sat on the toilet. I thought, oh, that'll do it. No. And I pushed. No. Push on my belly. Nothing. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm not quite sure what else to do. I need help again. <laughs> and plop, it came right out into the toilet. And I know one of your most recent podcasts is about, should I eat with my placenta? And at the time, I had been reading about it, and I had no particular feelings either way, but I was like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. As soon as it went into the toilet, that decision was made for me. Okay, never yeah. mind. <laughs> I <laughs> don't know what I was going to do, yeah. but we're just going to throw it out. And um, But I did take a look at it, and it was perfect, no tears and everything. And then I stuck it in a bag, and we threw it out later that day because it was garbage day. Um, <laughs> so I went back, and my mom had swaddled up my baby, and she had brought some nightgowns for her. And I don't know, I thought I was having a boy, or I didn't know, so I just assumed, well, I had a boy the first time, I'm probably having a boy. I'd like another boy <laughs> so they could be buddies. I never bought any girl clothes at all, nothing, not even one. And so <laughs> when I came out and she was in this pretty little nighty and, like, just all sweet, I thought, oh, thank you. you and she said, I had a feeling it was a girl. So Aww. she brought that, and then she also had a pink bottle of champagne and some cheese for us to eat and drink, and she's like, your milk's not coming in for a couple of days, so let's have a glass of bubbly and celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she admitted to me later on, I also had a blue bottle of champagne in the car, just in case. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we just kind of enjoyed and chatted and admired little baby for a little while, and then we all went to bed got up the next morning, and my mom and sister had breakfast, made it for me, cuddled baby a little bit more, and then they took off, and we had had our little family together. So it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. But I am so thankful looking back. I didn't have to be sent to the hospital for a breach. I didn't have to do weeks and weeks of moxibustin and, and yeah. kilt and whatever, trying to get this baby to turn because I was terrified of what that would mean. And she ended up being so sweet and turning for me. <laughs> anyway, I think in the video I even said, thank you for turning head down. Well, we really appreciate that. <laughs> and yeah. um, it was just wonderful. It really was wonderful. And I'd do it again. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for... Uh, for sharing your experiences with us, Hannah. And again, I just, I just, I love you being so willing to share your thought process and mm -hmm. you know, what you thought when you thought something might not be right, and also how you, you know, how you handle care providers and how you quiz the quiz the midwife. <laughs> and how you talk. I mean, I think there's just so many gems in here. Like even how you talk to your husband, um, and and were patient and gave him what he needed, but also the space that he needed and. It's just so many wonderful things. So, again, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. I, I'm glad you gave me a chance to be on here and to talk and to share because if it helps any woman in any type of journey, whether they're going to the OB and they want a hospital birth and they want to understand, like, how could I approach, like, getting what I'd like but not offending a doctor or if they want to have a home birth with a midwife. Like, I just hope that my story helps people feel more confident that their birth can be wonderful and you don't have to let fear dictate what it will become. Yeah, and I think that's just, that's, yeah, that's so wonderful. And you said, you know, we don't want to make decisions based on fear. It's just so true. 
So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Have a lovely day. Once again, I am so grateful to Hannah for agreeing to be on the podcast and for sharing her story with us last week and this week. I hope that you got as much out of it as I did. Remember, the show notes for this week and last week both have Hannah's birth stories on there. So if you want to go read in her own words um, about her birth stories, and also she's been she's willing to share her email address. So if you have any questions about unassisted birth or how she made the choices that she did or why or anything like that, she's totally open to you contacting her. Um, so that's kind of an open invitation, and you can find those contact details on the show notes. With that, again, I want to say thank you to Hannah, and I want to say thank you to you for listening. If you liked this kind of a podcast episode, feel free to let me know. Just shoot me an email, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com, or if you're on the newsletter list, hit reply to any newsletter. It comes right to my inbox, and let me know that you enjoyed this, or if you'd like to share your story, your thought process, um, your experiences. I'm definitely open to that, too, so let me know what you would like to hear, uh, if you enjoyed this if you would like to share i'm always open to that and remember if you've got a minute leave a rating and stitcher and itunes uh, in in the google music store just let everybody know that you appreciated the podcast or let me know what you feel i can improve on i always value feedback and i always value that other families find out more and more and more about how, how to have an aware pregnancy and birth how to be a conscious parent by listening to the podcast and you help make that happen by giving it good ratings so that the word about the podcast gets out to more and more again thank you so much I will talk to you next week, and please, this week, have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.